Uh, if you would, be finding your way to Ephesians chapter 6. And I, I appreciate uh, Wayne's prayer tonight because, of course, with what's going on in Ukraine, war and things of war are, you know, really on the forefront of our minds. And uh, Jesus told us that in the last days we would hear of wars and rumors of wars. But tonight I'm going to talk about a war that's not a rumor, and it's the war for the soul. Uh, that's one that has been going on since the beginning. Uh, if you've heard of the art of war, I've spoken from that before. It says in that if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succ succumb in every battle. And I believe this is true when it comes to spiritual warfare, and we need to be ready wearing the full armor of God. So if you would stand with me as we read the scripture, we'll be, we'll be in, as I said, Ephesians 6, we'll begin in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And I pray, Father, that as I, as I try to give this message tonight that you'd give me the words to say that we would take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives and live for you. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's three things that I want us to see tonight here as we talk about the whole armor of God, as we think about spiritual warfare. The first is that our true enemy, the enemy of the Christian, is the devil. We see that here in verses 10 through 12. Uh, there's a... Paul uses a lot of imperative statements in this passage. And the first one here, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power, or your version may say strength, of his might. Notice how he says that strong, power, might. He's really emphasizing that we've got to be strong, but it's not 
the strength, the power, or the might of the believer. This is of the Lord. It's only his strength that can, um, can stand against the evil one. That's where we have to know ourselves, know that we're not capable of standing against the enemy, but that through him we can. Even the strongest human being when it comes to a spiritual battle is never strong enough to stand without the strength of the Lord. Uh, there's one place in scripture we find that um, we see a small glimpse of this, of a group that did not stand in his strength. So if, if you hold your place here in Ephesians and turn over with me to Acts uh, 19, And I don't think it's a coincidence, but this account here in Acts is taking place in Ephesus, the same place that Paul is writing to. But in Acts 19, beginning in verse 11, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. We see here these Jewish exorcists, it says that they took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And it was the, not the Jesus that they preached, it doesn't say, it says, but the one of whom Paul preaches. They went into battle unarmored, unprepared, and they got whipped and run out of the house naked. I wouldn't want that to happen to me. You know, this is one of those passages, if it wasn't so serious, it would almost be funny. But... Paul we know, Jesus I know, but who are you? Um, we need to know who we are so that we are armored up going into battle. We cannot feign uh, spiritual armor. We have to have the true armor of God going into battle. In verse 11, uh, we have another imperative that says, put on the whole armor of God. This has the idea of being clothed, arrayed, or invested and when Paul wrote this, it no doubt carried the idea of a Roman soldier putting his armor on preparing for battle or for just regular duty. Another imperative is to stand. This is the idea of being firm or permanent and enduring, not backing down, be able to stand. You know, the way we stand is very important. Uh, a few weeks ago, it was time for 
Fisher to go to bed. And as he was going, I stood up from the recliner. I know Fisher, anything you say and do can be used in a sermon, I'm sorry. But I stood up in front of the recliner just like this. Well, he came to give me a hug. Little did I know that hug turned into a tackle. And I fell back in the chair. Now, if I had been planted, he wouldn't have got me. Anytime we're roughhousing, my feet are planted. But he caught me with my feet unsteady and took me down. So how we stand is incredibly important because if we don't stand properly, uh, we won't have a permanent, firm uh, foundation. Now, all these imperatives that we saw here about um, being strong, putting on the armor, and standing, in the original language, they are plural. So he is saying to the church as a corporate body to stand together and to not be lone warriors. We can't go at this on our own. We have to be united. The first century Roman soldiers, when they worked as a unit, um, they were practically unstoppable. They were one of the finest army of their day. So I believe that what we're seeing, seeing here that Paul is saying is that the unified church under the power of God is invincible. You know, that army was strong, but we standing unified as an army of the Lord are invincible. We see our enemy identified. He is none other than the devil. Uh, that can be translated slanderer, treacherous informer, or traitor, or even accuser. He is our enemy. We must know that he is the one that's against us. Your translation may say um, to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. Um, I can just almost picture, um, you know, on cartoons, the bad guy, he was always wringing his hands and had the long handlebar mustache. You know, he was the typical bad guy. I can just imagine the devil scheming. But he's, he's doing these deceitful things and craftiness, and he's lying in wait. You remember uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. As the man was going down, the thieves were lying in wait on someone that they could jump out and rob and attack. Satan is lying in wait for us to see who he can devour. So we must be ready for his sneak attacks. Does the devil usually attack us when we're ready for him? It's usually when we least expect it, when we're the most vulnerable. In verse 12, we see that our warfare is not a war fought with tanks, jets, or biological weapons. Um, in Ukraine right now, I know it's a, it's a kind of a long-range battle. There are troops on the ground. There is some up-close combat, but most of the battles we see today are jets, tanks, drones, things that are long-range. When it says that we wrestle against um, the devil, the flesh and blood, or not against flesh and blood, this literally means that we're engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The devil gets right up in our face. As the young folks would say, they get all up in your business. And he comes right at us. He doesn't attack us from afar. He is right in our face. And we are wrestling with him in hand-to-hand -hand combat. But flesh-and-blood Christians do not wrestle against flesh-and-blood enemies.
These are spiritual forces. And we must remember that our human tactics cannot be used. It's only the divine that can overcome. The principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, or you may have authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil, it's, it's all the same. These are agents of the devil. Um, the devil is not omnipresent. He has demons all over that are doing his work. Uh, Warren Wearsby calls these Satan's helpers. Uh, when we read in Revelation 12, 4, we see that devil, the devil has an army that is one-third of the angels. And since that fall of the angels, he still commands one-third. He, he hasn't gained more. He hasn't lost any. He still commands today one-third of the angels. Uh, Daniel 10 um, tells us of the struggle between God's angels and the devil's angels over control of nations. That's where we see this uh, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. Yes, the Ukrainian people are fighting against Russian authorities, but there's so much more to it than that. That nation of Russia has been influenced by these dark forces, and there's a spiritual battle going on there because Ukraine, the people there for the most part, have really come to know the Lord and love the Lord. This is a not only a physical battle, but there is a spiritual battle behind it as well. But Paul goes into great detail here about the spiritual forces, the dark spirits, and he may have done so here because, as we read before in Acts, there was a lot of uh, satanic activity and attacks going on in Ephesus when he was there previously. So he knew that the Ephesian Christians had a battle ahead of them. Uh, the second thing I want us to see is that the Christian can stand against the devil with the whole armor of God. This is our defense and our offense. Um, verse 13 repeats this again about putting on the whole armor, but this time it says to take up the armor. Whereas putting on means to clothe oneself, take up means to receive. So it's not enough that we receive God's armor if we're not willing to put it on. Verse 14, he again repeats to stand, to have our feet firmly planted. And um, just as it says in 11, uh, when he, he tells us to stand, it's followed by putting on the armor. He's reinforcing the truth that Christians cannot stand against or resist the devil through fleshly means. When we try to do that, we see what happens. The, the dark spirits, the demons will overcome. It's only divine power that can help us through the spiritual battles. Um, then it goes into talking about the pieces of armor piece by piece. And what we're going to see is this description, and I didn't really, I never made this connection or made this realization until I studied here, but we always think of, well, we're, we're seeing these pieces of armor and that lines up with the Roman soldier of the day, and it does. But it's also reminiscent 
of how Isaiah describes the armor of the Messiah. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says, speaking of the Messiah, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So this is not the only place in scripture we read about spiritual armor. So the first piece we're gonna read about is the belt of truth, or it may say, gird your waist with truth. This is the very first because it's the most important and most pivotal. If our life is not grounded in the truth, what do we have? If we cannot stand on truth, if we cannot wrap ourselves in truth, the belt is the central piece to all the rest of the armor, and it's also a place that the sword can be held. That's what the Roman soldier would use it for. But if we cannot wear truth, we cannot wear these other pieces of armor. A man with integrity can stand against the devil without fear. Second, we see the breastplate of righteousness. Now on the soldier, this would be either metal plates or chain mail, and it would go from the neck to the waist, protecting the whole torso area. Now where it says that we're, we're to put on righteousness, we receive the righteousness of God at salvation. That's something we can never take off. That's something we can never lose. So what, what Paul is talking about here is it's a righteousness of a, it's a practical righteousness associated with right living. That means we need to live the way that God wants us to in righteousness. Um, and this righteousness, when we put it on properly, it will defend the Christian from impurity, lust, greed, and injustice because we will be striving to do the things that God calls right. Verse 15, we see the third piece is the shoes of the gospel. Uh, the Roman soldier wore studded half boots and they kind of, I guess they were kind of like cleats and they allowed, you, allowed them to traverse difficult terrain and cover ground more quickly. If you were someone running barefooted and you had one of these soldiers on your tail, they could catch up to you fairly quickly. Sandals and bare feet would not have been the appropriate attire for a soldier. And what we can see from this is our primary mission. Our feet are to be ready to carry the gospel. We're to be able to carry it in the hard to reach places. We need to carry it quickly. And I believe even quicker now than, than before as we see the days drawing darker. But the gospel must get to these difficult places that allow, allow us with proper preparation to get to. Um, I've been reading about uh, Jim Elliott and his missionary uh, crews that were, were there in Ecuador. And I've read how they, they went through all the difficulties to clear landing strips and uh, about trying to reach these native tribes. I've not got all the way through the book yet, but I do know what happens in the end, that they were murdered by the Indians there. But they were not afraid to lose that which they couldn't keep. 
Uh, Jim Elliott said that, that their life and reading through it, their life was totally committed to the Lord. You know, as I read through it, it makes me spiritually feel like a dog because I think of what commitment they had as they went to Ecuador, that no matter what happened, their life was forfeit. They were there to serve Christ. And Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And I believe that was a group, Jim Elliott and them, they were a group who took the good news there, and we know later that, that those people were one. But we still have the same um, responsibility today. We may not be called to Ecuador. We may not be able to be called to Africa or China or wherever, but we are at least called to our neighbors and those across the street from us. Verse 16, fourth, we see the shield of faith. And the word for the shield here is speaking of a large stone used to cover a door. I kind of think of the stone that was put before the tomb that Jesus was laid in, something to that effect. But in this context, it's speaking of a large shield. Now, sometimes we see shields that are, you know, about the size of a hubcap that you would wear strapped to your arm. But this is a shield that would be about four, um, about four feet by two and a half feet. And you could set that shield and get behind it. It would be a full protection. And in this day, a shield of this size was used to deflect projectiles. It would be covered with leather. So as it talks here about the flaming darts of the devil, well, when a soldier was in battle and those flaming arrows came and hit that large shield with the leather, the leather would extinguish the flame. So this is what it's talking about. Protect yourself with the shield when the devil starts hurling uh, lies and, and blasphemous thoughts and hateful thoughts about others or doubts or a desire to sin. We can extinguish those with the shield of our trust in the promises and power of God. Fifth is the helmet of salvation. Uh, the helmet of the Roman soldier would have been either iron or bronze, and on the inside there would have been a sponge-like lining because this was a lot of weight and would have been difficult on the neck. So there was some padding, and it would have stopped anything short of an axe. I mean, this was a very, very thick, very strong helmet. Now, as with the breastplate of righteousness, Paul is not saying here that, that salvation can be put on and taken off. We have eternal salvation, but this is a salvation that has to be actualized in order to produce confidence in battle. What that looks like is as a helmet uh, protects the head, Bible study will produce protection needed against Satan's attack on the mind. The mind is the main battleground of, of the devil and we need to be studied in the word so that when those attacks come, we can protect our mind. And then the last piece we see is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now let me ask you, this is our sword 
is this the Word of God or does this contain the Word of God? (laughs) I'm hearing answers all over the house. It is the Word of God. If it merely contained the Word of God, there would be parts that are not the Word of God. We may think that there's a distinction or, or that there's not a distinction to say, well, this is the Word of God or this contains the Word of God, but it's two vastly different things. Uh, to say that it contains the Word of God means there will be something here that maybe God didn't speak. Um, I know the world doesn't believe this way, but I believe even down to the, the names and the genealogies, God used human authors as a pen writing in their own style and own way, but gave them the words to write that we still have today. Now, there are some um, manuscript differences here and there, but nothing that affects the message of the word. This is our primary weapon. The word for the sword here is not a long sword. This is a short sword. Remember, we're in hand-to-hand combat. This is up close. So Paul talks about a short sword or a long dagger or some kind of a knife when he's speaking of this. Um, You wouldn't want a long sword in close combat. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, Warren Wiersbe said that, it's a, that a material sword pierces the body, but the word of God pierces the heart. And when we read it, it does. It brings knowledge of conviction of sin that the Holy Spirit uses in our lives and uh, pierces us to the heart. We see a practical example in Matthew 4 when Satan takes Jesus to the wilderness to tempt him. Every time that Satan tempts Jesus, he quotes scripture back to him. He swings his sword at the devil when he is being tempted. And thirdly tonight, um, the Christian is sustained in battle through prayer. Even when we have the full armor of God on, spiritual warfare is still intense. Um, We have the sword of the Spirit, but we cannot forget prayer. Uh, Paul uses a verb here that's In the present tense, that means that we're to be in continuous prayer. This isn't a one-time thing. We're to pray continuously, and not only continuously, but comprehensively. Uh, Verse 18, let me read that one again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We have the word all in here four times. I believe Paul wants this to be a comprehensive um, attitude of prayer that covers everything. As I said, we don't know when or where the next attack is going to come from. So we have to be in constant prayer. 
we pray for ourselves, yes, but not just ourselves, but we, but we need to give thanks to God for his protection and intercede for others. Good soldiers do not fall asleep at the post. Paul says to persevere in prayer even when we are fatigued and discouraged. I'm sure no one here has ever been spiritually or emotionally or mentally fatigued or discouraged. I bet you have. It's, it happens, well, more often than we like because we don't see it coming. That's why it's so important uh, to do these things. Then Paul, uh, he concludes here requesting prayer. And when he wrote Ephesians, uh, he was most likely in the Roman imprisonment that's, at, that's mentioned in Acts 28. And during this time, he probably wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, I've said this before about Paul, but you know he was a great missionary um, anyway, but every time they put him in jail or put him in shackles, he would either convert the jailers or he would have time to write these letters. I think he did as much or more from prison than he did when he was out on the road as an itinerant preacher. But he says here he's an ambassador in chains. But you notice he did not say, I'm a prisoner, pray for me to be released. He's praying that he would have boldness to share the gospel. That whatever situation he was in, whether it be in prison, whether it be bound to soldiers, or if it was on a great day when he was out sitting by the lakeside, he wanted to have the boldness he needed to share. And you know, if, if one of the greatest preachers and missionaries of all time was asking for prayer and boldness to share the gospel, I think we can do the same thing. We can ask each other to pray for, for us. Philip Brooks was quoted as saying, do not pray for easy lives, pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks commensurate with your strength, pray for strength commensurate with your tasks. You know, oftentimes that's what we wanna do, we wanna pray that what we're going through will be easy. Pray that our test results come back well. Pray that our uh, job, that everything goes well with it. And I'm not opposed to that. I, I, I like it when things are easy. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna argue with that. But we need to remember that it's not always gonna be easy and our frame of mind in prayer should look like, well, Whatever I go through, God give me the strength to endure it, to continue about your work as I do so. So wrapping up tonight, um, looking at all this about the spiritual warfare, you think about the early church, this was, this was all new to them. They found themselves on unfamiliar ground. I mean, the church hadn't been established at this time maybe more than uh, 20, 30 years, something like that, relatively new. But this new ground that they found themselves on, unfortunately, was a battleground instead of a playground. It wasn't easy. And we see 2,000 years later, 
that this battle is still raging for the human soul. Uh, Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith daily. Missionaries boldly serve in countries that are close to the gospel, putting their lives at risk. Now don't mistake me, in this battle, the battle's won. The war has been won. Jesus won that victory on the cross. We fight from victory, not for victory. But if Satan can interfere with us, make us ineffective, make us doubt, make us to where, yeah, we're saved, but we're not doing anything for the kingdom, that's what he's trying to do. That's why it's so important. And I have to ask myself at times, am I finding myself comfortable on the playground or am I on the battleground? That's a real soul-piercing question. Am I comfortable in my Christianity or am I out actively on the battlefield? You know, God's army does not have a reserve corps or a secret service. He expects us all to be ready to go where he sends us. And when scripture tells us to take up the whole armor of God, it may be here, I haven't found it, but I've not found a place where we're ever told to take it off. We're to put the armor on, sleep in the armor, be ready at any time. But there's some things we need to do. We must be united against our true enemy, the devil. We see corrupt politicians and Hollywood celebrities and others we don't agree with, and, and we think, well, they're, they're our enemies. They're against us. Well, they may be, but it's also someone that Satan has a foothold in their life that is, is doing these anti-Christian things. 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13 says that the church is not to judge the world, that God will judge it. We are to keep each other in check, but as far as the world, we don't judge them, we just go win them. We go tell them about the gospel so the Holy Spirit will convict them and that they would come to know him as Savior. So we need to pray for these people, pray for and share the gospel with those who have the appearance of the enemy and love them without condemnation. We need to remember that we are God's army. We are not enemies within the ranks. So if, if we allow someone, Satan will get a foothold in one of our brothers and sisters to try to bring us down. Pray for them. Help, help one another. Let's keep each other on God's path. Knowing our battles are supernatural, we cannot use the tactics of man, but use what God tells us in his word. As I said, the war has already been won, but the devil refuses to surrender. Uh, he'll still instigate battles trying to divide us and discourage us. Uh, that's still going on. But thinking about the armor, I want to encourage you that when someone tells a lie about you, stand on the truth. Allow the breastplate of righteousness to deflect the immoral sin that keeps popping up and attempting to drag you down. Shield yourself with the faith that God will keep his promises when you are pierced with doubt. Protect your mind knowing you are a child of the king. 
and in everything be expedient to share the gospel using the word of God to fight your battles. Our most powerful weapons are the word of God and prayer. You know, modern armies, they have radio communications to call for help. We have a direct line to God the Father through prayer. We need to be sure that we don't sever that connection, that we stay in constant prayer. So whether we're happy, sad, lonely, joyful, fulfilled, or feeling empty, we need to take time to pray. Pray thanking God for our salvation, for His love, for His mercy, and ask Him to keep our spiritual armor strong and ready for action, pleading with Him to protect each child of God from the devil's flaming darts. Even the Apostle Paul asked for prayer, so make prayer a priority in all things and allow others to pray with and for you. Tonight as we enter our time of invitation, there may be someone that, you know, you feel that one of your pieces of armor has a chink in it, that, that there's somewhere that Satan can get a, get a foothold or, or get at you. If you need to come pray about that, the altar's open. You don't have to tell me a thing. There may be someone you need to come pray for. You know, as a, as a united front, if there's dissension in the ranks, it's time that we can, we can take the time and try to uh, resolve that with our brothers and sisters. Or if there's someone here um, or listening that doesn't know the Lord of Sa as Savior, that has never turned from sin and, and said, Lord, I want you to be in control of my life. Tonight's the best time of any to do that. So as we, as we sing, I'm going to pray. And um, if you have a need, please come down during this time. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful and strong. Father, I know my words tonight have been feeble, have been, have been weak, but I pray that you would be able to use them in some way to reach somebody either in this room or, or watching or listening either at this time or later. I pray that your word would not return void. Pray if there's anyone who has any need, especially a need for a Savior, that tonight, Father, that they would make that decision. In Jesus' name, amen.